Greatest Choice podcast, where we dive into the topics of singleness, fertility, motherhood, and choice. I'm your host, Katie B. Every episode, I'll deliver conversations with women in their fertile years who are grappling with what to do when life doesn't turn out as planned. You will also hear interviews with experts in the fields of fertility, personal development, choosing single motherhood, and more. Join us as we explore these topics and support each other along the way. Because what you decide to do with these years could be the single greatest choice you'll ever make, and you don't have to make it alone. Today I'm excited to introduce you to my friend and a woman I deeply respect, Whitney Rail. Whitney's current circumstances look pretty different than those of many of my guests on the podcast so far. But what I've learned in talking to dozens of women is that even when our circumstances are different, the stories that keep us stuck and the strategies that set us free, those are pretty universal. So Whitney is the CEO of Steadfast Life Coaching, and she's a life coach with her husband, Jake Rail. Together, they help people take their health, wealth, and relationships from here to elite. Whitney has gone through many life transformations, including stopping over drinking, attracting her dream partner, losing weight, and improving several difficult relationships in her life. She's a walking testimony of what she helps her clients to do. Whitney's also a stepmom to a teenage girl, and that's a journey that's been challenging, but it's expanded Whitney's understanding of what it means to nurture and support both her bonus daughter and herself. I can't think of anyone better to guide us through how to thrive regardless of our circumstances. You can learn more about Whitney and Steadfast Life Coaching at www.steadfastlifecoaching.com. Enjoy the show. Hi, Whitney. Welcome to the Single Greatest Choice Podcast. Thank you, Katie. I'm so honored to be on here. I love what you're doing. Thank you. So you are a little bit of a unique guest on the show. (laughs) A lot of our listeners are single and longing for motherhood, or maybe some of them are already mothers and it's something they've chosen to do on their own. And you are kind of the opposite of that. You are not single and you're not somebody who spent your 30s and 20s longing to be a mother. So do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are in your personal life? And then we can jump in a little bit to what you do professionally. Yeah, absolutely. I have an amazing husband. His name is Jake, and we have a business together. So we dance with trying to balance the romance and the business partner role, as well as I'm also a, I like to use the term bonus mom. So we also dance with co-parenting in a blended family. And I have a dog named Duke. If you go onto my Instagram, you'll see lots of pictures of him, (laughs) the golden retriever, who is my personal fur baby. (laughs) Yes, he's so sweet. And yeah, I, as of today, I am free of a lot of things and grateful for a lot of things, but it's all come through lots of transformation, lots of work. Yes. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on and kind of share some of your story with my audience is because I've watched you, you know, we're, we're friends in real life, but don't interact super often. And so mostly it's been sort of through social media, but I've just watched this incredible transformation over the last few years. And I know that in past years, you had many of the same pain points as some of the listeners of the show. And I've just watched you really heal that in so many beautiful ways. I was hoping that you could just share maybe a little bit of a synopsis of starting from where where you felt like you were really struggling and suffering and kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. I would say I spent most of my 20s not necessarily 
wanting to be a mom, mostly because my upbringing was pretty traumatic. And so I just had this limiting belief that I was not capable of mothering a child. (laughs) And I had lots of proof because of how I felt towards my own childhood, about my childhood, what I thought that it takes to be a mom, and just really a lot of ignorance. And I knew that I wanted to be married. And so that would bring up some complications. Probably not all guys would be on board with not having kids. When I was 23, I actually was engaged to a Venezuelan guy and he really wanted a family. And as it got closer to our wedding, three months to be exact, we had this big blow up and I called off the wedding. I I really felt lost, like something's wrong with me. If I am a a woman who doesn't wanna be a mom, that feels really abnormal. And so I spent the remainder of my 20s feeling a lot of anger, a lot of inadequacy, a lot of confusion. But I'm really grateful for that because it started me on a transformational journey, a healing journey, really, about my own childhood and about myself, like really starting to understand who I am below my hurts, my pains, and learning how to become compassionate with all of that. So I would say that's how I spent my 20s. (laughs) I'm laughing because here you are talking about feeling so abnormal and like there's something wrong because you didn't feel that you wanted motherhood. And for me, all I wanted was motherhood. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the path to that was this partnership, you know, the love marriage, baby carriage, and that wasn't happening for me. And I felt abnormal and inadequate Mm. and like everything you could have said, like, you know, we wanted the opposite things. I mean, we both wanted the partner, but um, it's just, it's so interesting how we all have these stories about ourselves that are basically everyone else has their shit together and there is something fundamentally wrong. I think just you saying that out loud, Katie, has to be really freeing for so many women. Uh, I know for me too, If I were to hear someone say that five years ago, I would be like, thank you. (laughs) So I don't feel like I'm alone in this story. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you're saying, Katie, the only difference was the story was the same. The only difference was our circumstance. You wanted to be a mom. I didn't want to be a mom. We are both stuck in the same story. I love that you pointed that out. Yeah. And just making it mean that there's something wrong with us instead of acknowledging our desire and feeling safe, just being who we were. We were trying to make it mean that we were flawed, that something was wrong with us. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I have to say, I'm grateful that I had that story because it did allow me to start doing the healing, the deeper work. And before my coping mechanisms were to escape my emotional pain. My emotional pain of not being good enough, my emotional pain of there's something wrong with me, I'm abnormal. And so for me personally, I I would cope with drinking too much wine, I was 40 pounds overweight, just eating my emotions, and I would get into a relationship with guys that I had no intention of marrying just to distract myself from me. Because Mm. I was like, well, if I can't find someone who 
doesn't not want to have kids like me, I might as well have fun. <laughs> it's a great justification. Yes. Yes. And was it fun? Um, it was wonderful in the sense that it taught me lessons, but if I had to give myself back then advice from today, I would say, girl, enjoy being single, like be okay being single. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can relate a lot. I think our coping mechanisms, um, some are the same. I've definitely had my struggles with too much wine and kind of using food to numb. For me, it often comes in the form of learning and information, which sounds harmless, right? But I realized, and it's funny because here we are talking on a podcast, I realized that I had created a life for myself where I was inputting information pretty much every waking moment in an attempt to avoid my own mind. So if I was listening to someone else's thoughts, I couldn't be thinking my own. So I would literally turn on a podcast before I got out of bed, listen to one the entire time I was getting ready and making coffee and driving to work. And then even sometimes at work, I'd be listening. And as soon as I got back in my car and while I was working out and I had this life that was just completely full of knowledge, knowledge and information and conversation And it served a couple of different purposes. It made me feel less alone because someone was always talking to me and it, I didn't have to actually take risks in relationships because these aren't people I'm actually in a relationship with. It felt like I was in a relationship because there was always this kind of one-sided conversation. So it protected me, I think in that way. And then it also just protected me from my own thoughts. So I was really, really avoiding. And I recognized that alone and quiet was pretty much the scariest place I could be. So that's what it's really taking. And it's still, I'm still in that process, but that's what it's really taking for me to kind of heal some of those stories and some of the reasons why I think I am where I am right now, which is 38 and single. And this wouldn't necessarily be what I would choose for myself. But like you said, I'm really thankful for the time that I've had, the life that I've lived, and the ways that I've tried to solve the problem that haven't worked because I've learned so much about what will work, right? Yeah, that's powerful awareness, Katie. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, I hope so. So back to your story. So we know kind of where the pain points were for you. And then tell us a little bit about how you were able to start to heal that. Yeah, so just like I was saying to you, the first step for me was awareness. It was the awareness that I was telling myself a story that was keeping me stuck. And stuck meaning... Uh, using the same patterns and coping mechanisms that weren't serving me. They were actually hindering me. And when I had that awareness, I really got to make a decision. I saw that my first step was making a decision that I was no longer going to make it mean that there was something wrong with me. And then I just went to work on learning how to think differently about myself Uh, learning how to think differently about my childhood and tell those stories in a way that was encouraging. So it sounds like going from negative thinking to positive thinking, but it was deeper than that in, in the sense that it was more of how can I embrace all of me, all of my past and all of who I am today, even the parts that I don't like. Hmm. How can I accept it and learn how to be at peace with it. 
And in that process, I started to feel more free. I started to have less of a desire to drink alcohol. In August, it'll be five years without having any alcohol. And it's such a testimony that there was a point in my life where I felt so much discomfort being in my life, being me, that I couldn't fathom going a night without wine or going a week without wine. And to get to a place where I have so much freedom and so much peace of all the parts of me, all the parts of my past, that it no longer is a craving or a desire of mine is probably the biggest testimony <laughs> for me personally. <laughs> yeah. So if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I, I want that. Like I need to learn how to embrace all of me in that way. Where does someone start? What would you suggest? That's a great question. We say that all of the things that we don't like about ourselves have a underlying fear. And so a lot of my fears I discovered were fear of rejection, fear of failure, and fear of being unworthy. And so when I looked at those three fears and I said, how can I be okay in them? Like if I imagine being utterly rejected, just like, I don't like you, uh, you're not good enough, you know, just whatever the worst case story looks like, I would put that on and feel that feeling of rejection in my body and teach myself that I was still okay, that my value is still intact, that who I am still exists, and that the worst thing that actually was happening was the emotion. The fears no longer seemed so earth shattering. It was just the lack of awareness that the emotion is really what I was avoiding. Right. And that is so important because I think that in the personal development space, a lot of people, when you begin to just dip your toe in, a lot of what you see first is this change negative thoughts to positive thoughts without a lot of explanation of needing to really feel the negative really before you can, I mean, there, that's kind of a spiritual bypass to go from, I think that I'm trash and instead I'm going to think I'm amazing. That is a thought that you can try to put into your brain, but it's not going to stick. It's not going to feel authentic until you really sit with, what does it feel like to believe that I'm trash? Like, what does it feel like, you know, and, and really kind of like move through that emotion and just understand that a feeling is really the worst thing Mm -hmm. that's ever going to happen to you and you can survive it. Yeah. We actually had a client. She was like, why would I ever want to feel a negative emotion? (laughs) I was like, that's a great question. Like why feel a negative emotion? And my discovery is that without feeling the negative emotions, we really never get to feel the good ones. So when I allow that rejection to be uh, experienced in, in my body by trying it on, then I get to really experience love what it feels like to be accepted. And without that contrast, good doesn't feel that good because we don't, we always shut out the negative. I'm having a thought and I wonder what you think about this. So when I think about that process for me and when I really feel the negative and kind of like, I have that awareness of watching myself 
sort of subjecting myself to something that feels really terrible. I think of the process of holding myself through that emotion as kind of self-parenting. And to me, it's like a very maternal thing that I've learned how to do with myself to say, oh, honey, like that really hurts, you know, and to be able to hold myself through that. And I wonder if that resonates at all with you. Yeah, absolutely. And in full transparency, it wasn't a part of my transformation until recently, probably over the last year. And that part came a lot from having a bonus daughter. Before that, a lot of my transformation came from more of a tough love, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, let's go young lady. this isn't going to fly anymore. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I can kind of see that shift in you because I do, when I think about like, just who is Whitney, like I do think of you as like, even the the tone of your voice, when you say, let's go, like you're an athlete and you've got that, like, yeah, I'm going to blow the whistle on myself. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And I remember watching, you know, from a distance, the beginning of your transformation and feeling like I don't have, I don't have that inner whistleblower. Like I can be more like the strict teacher, but I'm not like the volleyball coach. Like I don't, (laughs) I don't have that, but it does feel like you're in a bit of like a softer place Mm -hmm. maybe with yourself. Yeah. Some days. And I appreciate that, that acknowledgement that actually is very encouraging. So when Jake and I got married, I became a mom to an 11 year old. And for the first two years, uh, she openly without feeling the need, which bless her heart, (laughs) she was (laughs) doing the best that she could, uh, rejected me. She loathed me. And it was really coming from a place of, it used to be my dad and I, and now there's another woman in the picture that isn't my mom. And I already have a mom. And so for a good two years, there was a lot of my old stories that I was too afraid to really look at and be in the same room with, like embrace, like we were talking about, that I had kind of gotten away with not addressing. And they were all popping up to the surface. And so it was like, oh no, I thought I did all this work. (laughs) And so now here I am married, yay, but also a mother, you know, feeling less like I'm not adequate, but feeling more like, well, it's not exactly how I planned it. Nobody dreams of being a a stepmom, but here I am in this motherly role and let's go. Like we can figure this out. And all of that fear of rejection came up in a totally different way. And so I had to find a new way, which was like, you're saying, Katie, that how to be more of a mother to the emotions that come up, to the fears that come up. Hmm. So interesting how kids are just so good at bringing up our junk, right? (laughs) I mean, I think about what it takes to be, you know, a mom to an infant, to a toddler, to a teenager, for you to be thrown in kind of midstream and sort of against your will, or at least, you know, it's not, it's not what you would have chosen. And yet it's where you landed. Yeah. So I want to, I feel like we've kind of skipped a middle piece. So we, we knew kind of where you were in your twenties and ending that engagement and kind of feeling clear that you didn't want to have children. And then now we see you with 
Jake and a bonus daughter. What happened in between? How did you get to the point? Like how did, how did you and Jake get together? What was it like in the early stages? And even I'm curious, were you open to like, had you dated other men with children or was that a new thing for you? <laughs> <laughs> Funny that you asked that. Yes. So bridging that gap, I had decided to stop drinking alcohol so that I could really focus on two things, healing those parts of me and then rebuilding my relationship with the Lord. And without the buffer, the comfort of alcohol, I really had to feel all of my emotions. And so it was a process that was the start of this journey. And Shortly after, probably six months after making that decision, I also then decided to not date guys, to really hone in on becoming the woman that I wanted to be for the man that I wanted to attract. And that was inspired by a pastor, Andy Stanley, become the person you want to be with. And so I got super clear on the man that I wanted to marry in terms of characteristic traits, loving Jesus, just all of the things. And it was so crazy, Katie, even to the point where I was like, I don't want him to drink alcohol. But I had never met another man or another person really that did not drink alcohol. And so I was like, okay, God, you're really going to have to create a miracle for this one. But not dating for six months just really allowed me to not worry about who I was dating or who I wasn't dating, but really making sure that I was becoming a good match. And how old were you at this time? Uh, 29. Okay. So you mentioned when did my clock start to tick? Mm -hmm. It was at 29. (laughs) Yeah. And when you say clock ticking, are you talking just ready for marriage or does it have to do with children at all or no? Were you still pretty clear on not wanting kids? No, I wasn't as clear on the not wanting to have kids. I had an open mind. So I don't know what it feels like, like you described, Katie, where you're like, I know 100% that I want to be a mom. I've never had every bone in my body say I just crave that. But my clock started to tick in the sense that I was like, I know that I want to be with a God-fearing man and have a family. And so if that family means adoption, awesome. I didn't think that it would mean a blended family. (laughs) And I wasn't sure. You forgot to put that on the list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, just kidding. It's wonderful. And then how soon after that did you meet your husband? So I met Jake five days after I turned 30. And we kind of joke about it too, because he had been divorced for five years. And a couple of weeks earlier, we were both online dating. I've been online dating for a couple of days or a week or something. It was really short. He'd been online dating for a couple of years and he had made a hard line recently that he wasn't going to date anyone who was younger than 30. And I just turned 30. So (laughs) we have a 12 year age gap and we were both on the app called OkCupid. I don't remember him ever mentioning that he had a daughter or that he was divorced He swears he does, and I believe him. (laughs) I went on my first date with him. We went for a hike in the green belt, and I remember just feeling the most safe I've ever felt with a male. 
and our conversation just flowed really easily. He was such a gentleman. And then we went in, had lunch at Gables on the Lake, and I asked him specifically, so how much do you drink, just assuming that he drank? And he said, oh, you know, I, I actually, I don't really like alcohol. I was like, I'm sure he means he doesn't like all types of alcohol. <laughs> so it was just so cool. Like he only has four beers on the weekend instead yeah, of Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But no, he's not a drinker. He's had one margarita in his life and that's it. Wow. So a question that you asked that I thought was really good is the hardest thing that, that I've faced on this journey from being single and wanting to be married to not knowing if I wanted to be a, a mom, to being open to it, to now being married and having a family that I didn't ever dream or expect it would look like. And I would say the hardest part of that entire journey was letting go of this idea of what being married should look like. When I was single, I had told this story that a man is going to complete me. The right man is going to complete me. And I'm going to just no longer have this inner longing. And we're going to, you know, run away together and just make huge impacts on the world. <laughs> and we never really got a honeymoon. I went straight into being a mom to a little girl who did not like me. And we never really got time together where it was just us being married, just the two of us. And I don't say those things as if woe is me or that I wish it were different. It was just a hard part of that entire process because I had to allow the disappointment. Mm -hmm. And that was hard because I felt like if I was allowing the disappointment of it not looking the way I wanted it to, I would be resentful and bitter for a long time or, you know, for our marriage, who knows? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think there are so many stories that we don't even realize we're telling ourselves or like scripts that we have for what should be happening. Mm -hmm. And I can very much relate to imagining what a newlywed phase quote should look like. Yeah. And no one ever promised us that. Like no one ever said, right. this is what it's supposed to look like. Right. For, you know, I spent the last decade of my thirties dating. And at first I really was not open to dating men with children because I had an idea of what it would be like to be pregnant and to have a child and to have my, my partner there with me, like at the delivery and at the birth. And I didn't want, I wanted that to be his first time too. And that was like a real fixed point for me where I was just absolutely not open for years. And I think back and I'm like, gosh, I wonder if I met any really great people who I just immediately closed the door to because of my expectation. Yeah. Whereas, you know, maybe I could have had, I mean, I feel like you have everything you've ever wanted because you've allowed it to look different than you thought you wanted it to look. So things like the age gap, him having a child, no honeymoon, you know, all of that maybe isn't what you imagined, but there are so many. I mean, did you ever imagine running a business with a partner? Um, that's a good question. No, I wanted a man who would allow me to be as big as I dreamed of being. Not all men are that confident, but I never imagined it could be even better by doing it together. 
Right. I mean, I see you guys kind of like living the dream in a lot of ways. And I wonder, is that even a dream you thought to dream, you know, this idea that you work, you make your own schedule, you work together, you can kind of take off as you please. There's just so much freedom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, there's so much freedom because you are your own bosses and you're in it together. And it's not like you're running the business and he's teaching and he's stuck on the school schedule. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's a great example of every story has two sides. And I could tell that same story that you so kindly painted of us running off into the sunset and, (laughs) you know, building our dreams together and having a lot of freedom and, you know, impacting people's lives. Absolutely. And then there's also a story of us getting lots of coaching and having a lot of hard lessons that are both marriage and business. And Mm -hmm. then having to go straight into co-parenting where that whole family dynamic is just really skewed. And so I think for your listeners, it's helpful for them to know that when they're married, there's still going to be another side that is a battle. Or when they're a mother, there's still going to be another side that is a battle. And so they're both parts that make it a beautiful experience. There's that contrast again, but we tend to think, our brain tends to think, but if I have this and we only see all of the fruit and the positive, yes, we forget that there's also all of the humanness. Yes. And we do it in our own lives with our own kind of projected stories. And then we obviously do it with other people as well. I mean, I just totally romanticized your life and was like, and now you have no problems. Everything's great. Right. (laughs) But I work with a coach who calls that thinking when then thinking. So like when I have a partner, then I won't feel alone anymore. Or also if then thinking, like if he hadn't broken up with me, then I would be married with kids now. And anytime we go into that when then, or if then it's a story and you can kind of question, you know, if it's a, when I have this, then I'll feel that. Like, how can I feel that right now? Like, how is it true that I can get there without it needing to hinge on this external thing? Because it never, it's always a choice, right? Like you could find, 15 reasons right now, pretty easily probably to be miserable in your current circumstances, right? (laughs) But you could also find at least as many, maybe double of like why you have the best circumstances ever. And it's just, it's all a choice, I think, to decide what story you're going to tell. Yeah, I totally agree. I have to say we have a client right now who is 38. He is a awesome bachelor who also thought that he would be married with kids by now. And I know that there's lots of men and women out there that are like, man, I thought my life would look different by now. But there are people out there still who are incredible people doing the work that you're doing, Katie, you know, really becoming the best version of themselves who are having the same thoughts and they're the opposite sex. And so I just say that to encourage all the women that there are men who are willing to do this work too, that are worth waiting for, that are worth being ready for. And so I hope that doesn't sound like too fluffy or anything. But No, no. I'm like, give me his number. <laughs> I know. I know. He has this belief that there aren't any quality women working on themselves still available. I love to just point out that our brain likes to 
paint worst case scenarios and do not listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I really, as much as I have had to kind of recalibrate my expectations of how life was going to look, mm -hmm. I am so thankful that I mean, I've always kind of said, I'm glad that the man that 23 year old Katie chose to marry is not the man that I'm married to right now. He is yeah. a wonderful human being who I am just so, so, so thankful is not still my yeah. husband. Yeah. But I mean, the real shocker to me is I got divorced at 28 and I thought 28 year old Katie had a pretty good idea yeah. of who she was and what she was looking for. And 10 years later, I'm thinking like, oh my God, and not just 28 year old Katie, but 32 and 34 and even 36 year old Katie. It's like, wow, I have this opportunity to yeah. just learning and understanding myself and growing and the type of person that I'll find myself with at some point because I still fully believe that that will happen. It, it excites me that I'm kind of upping the caliber of who yes. would be a good match for me. Uh, I love that. And I hear that a lot with the women that I talk to who are considering single motherhood. And there's sort of this story that making that choice then eliminates, like it's kind of one or the other. Like, am I going to choose man or I'm going to choose baby? Because if I choose baby, then probably no one's ever going to want to date me again. And my response to that is it probably, it does change who would be attracted to you and to your scenario in probably a really good way. Because yeah. I look at like the men I've wasted the most time with in the last decade. And I think to myself, would that guy date a single mom? <laughs> probably not. He probably wouldn't have had the patience for it. Wouldn't have. I feel like the type of guy who's yeah. going to step into a scenario where where a woman is parenting on her own and has made that choice very consciously and is up for that level of challenge. Someone that steps into that scenario is really stepping into a family. Yeah. And it's very different than I'm going to call you when it's convenient and, you know, we're going to just go for drinks and go for movies. There's just a, it's a whole different set of circumstances. Absolutely. I love that. I think that's an, an incredible perspective to take on and commit to. Yeah. Super powerful. So for women who are considering making this choice to become a single mother on their own, because they're worried about fertility, they're worried about the biological clock, they're tired of waiting, but oftentimes it's coming from a place of scarcity and lack and fear for people who are listening, who do feel like that describes them, like this is no judgment whatsoever, because I can, I can very much relate <laughs> to all of those feelings. It just is kind of where some of us land. Do you have any words of wisdom or like how, how can someone go from making a choice like that from a place of scarcity to making a choice like that from a place of empowerment? How do I coach myself you know, from one to the yeah. other? I like to simplify it by saying that there are really two main emotions, love and fear. And when I align in love, there is no lack. It's when I get out of self-love, love for God, for Jesus, for me, love for other humans, that then I feel a lot of scarcity, a lot of lack, a lot of worst case scenarios. And so when I notice that my mind is going into that fear place, then I create that motherly environment and say, it's okay. I hear you. I acknowledge what you're feeling. I don't try and argue with it or judge it. 
And when I create that space, I'm teaching myself that I don't have to have anything outside of me externally in order to feel love. And it creates a sense of safety, a sense of reliability. And then I can go into redirecting it back to the love, the abundance, the peace in what is. And so that three-step process is really how I direct all of our clients because fear is going to come up. We can't just live in a state of bliss of love, but just noticing when we're in that fear, allowing space for it to be there, embracing it, and then redirecting it to love. Thank you. So I know you've got another commitment, so I want to start it to kind of wrap us up. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure to share? Um, I would just say that for your listeners, if they wrote down where their life is, like what circumstance their life is currently today, and then drew a line and on the other side of the paper wrote what they wanted their life to look like. And then they just started living from the place as if their life already looked that way. And to just experiment with it for 30 days to really live from that place of having it all, being enough, and just see what comes up. And I would, I would bet that either perspectives would shift or they start showing up in life differently, or maybe a story that they're really locked to just starts to feel less permanent. That's beautiful advice. Thank you. I'm going to try that myself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Whitney. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the single greatest choice podcast. I'm your host, Katie B. You can learn about me and this project on my website, singlegreatestchoice.com. That's also the place to go if you're interested in being a future podcast guest. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to rate and review in iTunes. That helps more women to find our show. Until next time, I'm sending you all my love and support as you go about making the choices that will create a life you love.